Zechariah chapter 8, and I believe we finished verse 13 last week. I, I hope so, because I'm starting with verse 14, okay? Uh, is that correct, David, by the way? I, I don't know, but hopefully it is. I, I think it is, because last week we had communion. We're in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 14. It says this. We're going to read 14 through 17. We'll pray, and then we'll get into this amazing section in the book of Zechariah. It says, for thus says Yahweh of hosts, just as I proposed to bring about evil to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says Yahweh of hosts, and I have not relented. So I have again proposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Also, let none of you devise evil in your heart against another, and do not love false oaths. For all these are what I hate, declares Yahweh. And so, Father, tonight as we approach uh, this uh, truly magnificent book, uh, the book of Zechariah, the the second to the last book in the Old Testament as we approach these amazing prophecies, some that we've already seen and, and some that we're going to see in the rest of this uh, book, Lord. I ask that you would just open up our eyes, help us to have a desire not only for your word, uh, but even for the Old Testament and how, how pivotal uh, these little books, these minor prophets are to your word. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to be focused upon you tonight, all those things that may be weighing us down. And I, I, I see, you know, even around the room and, and uh, whether, you know, people are watching online or, or here physically, Lord, I ask that you would lift them up tonight. That they don't have to hide the uh, whatever's going on that they can share, that they can uh, ask for prayer, that they can c come forward at the end and, and know that there is someone here to pray for them, Lord. All the hard things that we're going through, all those uh, decisions that we have to make, all, all those the things that maybe even we don't have to, you know, are, uh, were forced upon us or something that has happened in our life that wasn't even of our own choosing, Lord. So I ask that you would just bless these, my friends and my family today, that we would have a desire to focus upon your word, Lord, we, that we love you with all of our heart tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, do, do you see, you know, the, this passage? And it's one of those passages that kind of sums up, you know, what, what the call of God is you know, for all of us. In fact, there's an, another amazing uh, verse. We read it a couple of months ago in the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And you've probably heard this many, many times, even if you've never uh, known where it was from. It, it comes from one of the minor prophets. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does Yahweh require of you but to do justice, to love loving kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You may have even seen that before, right? Yeah. This is one of those passages that is repeated over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, whether it's in the, the prophets or whether it's in the minor prophets. And, and here in the book of Zechariah, it's just expounded upon what does God want? Does he want our lip service? 
does he want to say, well, I'll, I'll get around to it, our procrastination? No, he wants us to treat others like we were supposed to treat ourselves, right? As God treats us, he wants us to treat other people. We would never want God to treat us unfairly. And it's the same thing with other people. And by the way, this is the people of God. This is the people that are living in uh, Judah, in Jerusalem. These are the ones that are during the time of what we call the post-exilic uh, prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. This is after the 70 years when they've been in bondage in Babylon, and now they've come back to the land. And God is warning them, uh, I don't want to have to judge you again. I don't want to have to discipline you again, but do what I say. What are the things that are listed here? Speak the truth to one another. Is that kind of obvious? But what were the Jews known for? What are the Jews known for? You know, deceit, right? They're known for trying to get the upper hand. What's the next one that's listed there? Not only speaking the truth, but what else? Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gate. Because what happens when a, a person is elevated to a certain position is it easy for them to, you know, benefit themselves or accept a bribe or go through the, you know, uh, well, I, I went through the campaign, but, but I'm going to backtrack on certain promises that I made. But by the way, there's nothing new under the sun. Every single one of these is true as when it was written, you know, some 2,500 years ago as it is today. In fact, even more relevant than today's newspaper, if you will. Verse 17, also let none of you devise evil in your heart against another and do not love a false oath. We hate it when someone does it to us. But many times it's okay if we do it to other people, right? Because of the situation, you know, because it, you know, it. It, it, it's something that just happened, right? Or, or they did it to me first. We always have an excuse, right? What does it say there? Now, there? There's very few times in the scriptures where God defines what he hates. We're going to see in the book of Malachi, he hates divorce. That's one of the things that he, he hates. He, he very clearly declares that. But these are the things that he hates, it says. Can you imagine that? Would I ever want to do anything that goes against not only the will of God, but something that God hates, right? Where he's adamantly against these uh, things. Very plainly described here in the book of, of Zechariah, continuing on there in verse 18 and 19, it says, Then the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and merry, appointed feast for the house of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. I don't know if you guys noticed, but, you know, when we were singing, there, there's a new format to the screens now, right? They're, they're actually, I mean, I, Jeff and, and John are amazing, by the way. You know, that you can actually see the words coming up to the next section now. You know, before it was just, you know, one. And what would happen if the guy in the back wasn't, you know, 
you know, really quick on the, the, you know, the take back there, you know, what would happen? You'd, you know, the words would just keep going. Right. But, but now you can actually see the words. What does that do for your worship? What does that do for your praise? It, it, it causes a flow to happen, right? You can, you can see what's coming next for those of you that are really quick uh, readers or, or you know, singers or whatever it is. And, and this is what is happening here. There, there's a praise that is happening looking forward to the next time when they get to praise the Lord. You see, for 70 years, they've been in another foreign country. They haven't had a temple. They haven't had a place to worship the Lord. So during these months, instead of worshiping God, instead of praising God, they've been fasting or, you know, in sorrow or mourning. Uh, they, were, they were sad during the time when they should be celebrating the Passover. They, they were sad during the time when they should be celebrating the new moons or, or the, the first harvest or, or the various fall feasts. And instead, what has they been doing? They've been mourning because they haven't been able to worship the Lord. What does God say is going to happen during those times? Your, your mourning is going to be turned into what? Joy. Gladness. Mary appointed feast for the house of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. There's, there's another phrase that we use a lot of times. He's going to turn your mourning into dancing, right? Th this is what only God can do, by the way. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever tried to cheer up someone that has been down in the dumps, you know, maybe your spouse or a child or someone that you know. And it's hard for you maybe to do it, you know, but someone else comes along and they're, you know, somehow perked up, you know, they're, they somehow get happy, you know, and it's the whole idea of what does it mean when God comes into someone's life? He turns their mourning into dancing or joy or gladness. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 13, it says very something similar. Then the virgin will be glad in the dance and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them gladness for their sorrow. You see, Jeremiah foresaw this. He, he prophesied that this would happen, that when they came back, when they entered into the land, they would again have a joy. But in the hard times, is it easy to have joy? Is it easy to be happy when it feels like everything is against us? You see, there's a difference, and you all know this, right? Difference between happiness and joy, right? What, what is happiness dependent upon? The circumstances. What's going on in my life, right? If, I, I, if things are going good, I'm happy. If things are not going good, then I am, you know, sad, right? Joy is not dependent upon the circumstances. It's those of you in this room that I, I see your smiles. I, I see that outward appearance, that countenance that you have, and I know in your own hearts that you're going through a hard time. And yet you still have joy in your life. Who's the only one that can cause? It's only through our Savior, Jesus Christ. This chapter ends in verse 20. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, it will yet be that people will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one 
will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of, of Yahweh to seek Yahweh of hosts. I will also go. So many people and mighty nations will come and seek Yahweh of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of Yahweh. It's not just for the Jews, but people from all over the world will come and worship the Lord. It, it, is Christianity a, 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 an exclusive religion? There, there's an exclusivity on how you come to Christ, yes, but is it exclusive to a certain group of people? No. It's open for everyone that would believe, right? In uh, Jesus Christ, it ends there in verse 23. Thus says Yahweh of hosts in those days, 10 men from every tongue of the nations will take hold of the garment of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. Where, where even those that are not Jewish, those that are Gentiles would want to worship God. And isn't that by, you know, true about what happened in the book of Acts? In fact, Pastor Mike Ostheimer is going, going to be going through uh, the book of Acts, and we're going to see that where it did start with the Jews. The, the church, the Christian church started with, with a, a, a core base of Jewish people, but then it expanded to who? Yeah, the known world, right? The Gentiles, those of us without a single drop of, of Jewish blood in them. Uh, chapter 9, Zechariah, and, and by the way, Zechariah, remember, it's, it's the longest of the minor prophets. It's 14 uh, chapters. Normally, when we've been going through these minor prophets, I mean, we've just been going straight through, and, and it's going to take us a little bit more than a month to go through the book of, of Zechariah. And, and this is one of those books that is very important in terms of prophecy to the New Testament. You see, Zechariah is the most quoted of all the minor prophets in the gospel. There are so many prophecies of who and, and what the requirements are for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We saw one of those last week where we, where we saw the, you know, the priest king. And, and now when we go into chapter 9, we're going to see another major prophecy that was fulfilled there at the beginning week, what we call the, a Palm Sunday. In fact, look at what it says there in verse 1. The oracle of the word of Yahweh is against the land of Hadrach, which Damascus as its resting place for the eyes of men, especially of all the tribes of Israel, are toward Yahweh. You see this word oracle in uh, not only the, the minor prophets, but also in the book of Isaiah as well. And this word oracle in some of your translations might be translated as burden. And, and it's specifically given that definition, okay? It's a burden that's been given to the prophet to give away. Have you ever been driving down the road and God put a, a burden on your heart? Maybe a conviction. Go, go talk to that person or go help that person or, or go, you know, minister to that person or, or pray for that person. And, and, and you know, you know, I'm guilty as well. You know, what happens if I don't obey the voice of the Lord? What happens to your heart? Does it feel heavy? Why does it feel heavy? 
Because God has given you a burden for that person. He's put a burden on your heart. How do you get rid of the burden? You do it, right? And what happens to your heart when you do it? You all know. I mean, this weight has been lifted off of your heart, off of your shoulder. That burden is now given to the person that God has told you to give it to. Whether, whether it's prayer, whether it's helping them, whether it's doing something for them. And it's the same thing with the prophets. They were given a burden, a specific message to give to the people. In fact, of the minor prophets, Zechariah is the only one that we see that's going to be given this burden twice. Here in chapter 9 and also in chapter 12. He, he's going to be given this oracle, this burden to go to the people of Israel. Look there in verse 2, and Hamath also, which borders on it. And of course, you're going to see that all these places here uh, border around uh, Jerusalem, around Israel, and Tyre and Sidon, because they are very wise. These are the, the nations in the north. So Tyre built herself up a tight fortification, tied up silver like dust and like fine gold, like the mire of the streets, Tyre and Sidon. They were known for their trade. Uh, they were the, the people that had ships. They, they had merchants that would come. They were known as a trade uh, port. You can read more about of it. In fact, we, when we were in the book of Ezekiel, we went into great detail on, on the king of Tyre and, and Sidon. Verse 4, Behold, the Lord will dispossess her and strike her wealth down into the sea, and she will be consumed with uh, fire. What, what's going to happen to the wealth of the nation? Does it last? No. Unfortunately, you know, so many times we invest in, you know, things that are fleeting, things that don't last, right? Rather than investing them for uh, the kingdom of God. By the way, I know none of you won the lottery. You know why? Because you're not in Florida, right? You know, so I, I, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. And what happens, you know, all those, all those tickets, all, all those the money that people invested in something that was fleeting, right? What happens to it? Boom. People just tore them up or burned them or threw them away, whatever it was. I don't know. Verse 5, Ashkelon will see it and be afraid. Gaza, too, will writhe in great pain. Also, Ekron, for her hope, has been put to shame. Moreover, the king will perish from Gaza and Ashkelon will not be inhabited. This is one of those sections in the Bible that most of the time when we're reading through it, we kind of skip over. Every single one of these cities that are listed here are capitals of the Philistines. You see, the Philistines, they had five capitals, okay? And you guys remember the Philistines, that was the guy by the name of Goliath, right? That came from Gath, right? That, that was the Philistine. He's known for his great height. And these are the same places, Gaza, the Gaza Strip today in Israel. I mean, very, very famous place on the news uh, a lot. Same thing with Ekron and Ashkelon and Gaza. All these places that were in the Philistine Empire at this time. What is God going to do to the Philistine? Look at what it says there in verse 6. And as of those of illegitimate birth, will inhabit Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. The first thing he's talking about is the wealth of the nation, and now he's talking about the pride of the nation. 
because many times they're intermingled, right? It's all about what I did or what I have, right? That, that gives me purpose in life. That gives me a, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, a thing that I can look to or, or brag about or be proud of. And what does God say to all those things? He's going to bring them down. In fact, what's the very first sin? Even before Adam and Eve, that they were there on Monday night. That's why, you know. Uh, pride, yeah, Satan. The fall of Satan was due to what? Pride. Verse 7, and I will remove their blood from their mouth and their detestable things from between their teeth. And they also will be a remnant for our God and be like a clan in Judah and Ekron, like a Jebusite. But I will camp around my house because of an army because of him who passes by and returns, and no taskmaster will pass over them anymore. For now I have seen with my eyes those people that at once rebelled, those people that were once proud, those people that had once entrusted in their, their wealth. What does God say? I'm going to accept you if you come to me. In, in fact, what does it say about the Philistines in verse 7 there? That God will accept them if they come. Isn't that amazing? Wow, how, how gracious is our God? How, how merciful is the Lord, even to his enemies? Verse 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Make loud shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, lowly and mounted on a donkey even on a colt, the fowl of a pack animal. I know you've heard this before. In fact, we celebrate this every single year, the week before Easter. We call it Palm Sunday, right? And, and this is one of those verses that is so pivotal to the de definition of who uh, Jesus was going to be, the Messiah coming to earth. This is one of the things that he had to fulfill. In fact, we, 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 we had the privilege of singing a lot of these, these same words here in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. Uh, we read the story of what happened before Palm uh, Sunday. And normally when we, we you know, celebrate Palm Sunday, we, we, we talk about the fact that there's all these people lined up. We see all these people lined up with the palm branches. But what happened before the palm branches? What did they run out of? Clothes. They ran out of clothes, right? They, they were laying down their jackets first. And, and the reason why they had to go and cut palm branches was because they ran out of jackets, right? They ran out of outer clothes, if you will. Look at what it says there in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. And when they had approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. When was this predicted that it would happen? All the way back in Zechariah, written over 500 years before it would happen. Can you imagine that donkey and that colt had been prepared by God 500 years in the past? That, that, that donkey and that colt that was tied there, 
This isn't coincidence. This is prophecy. It had to be fulfilled. It's only by the hand of God, by the way, that this happens. Verse 3 in Matthew chapter 21. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Again, not just the donkey and the colt of that donkey, but also the person that owned the donkey had to be prepared, right? Again, going back 500 years. Isn't that amazing? How every single aspect of these prophecies had to be fulfilled to the very letter, to the very detail, where, where it wasn't just a, a donkey and a colt, but even the owner had to be willing to give them in service to Jesus. And this took place in order that what was spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey quoted from where? Zechariah chapter 9. Exactly what we're reading tonight. And you're here to hear it. Isn't that amazing? Now, I mean, just the way that the Lord works out these amazing passages and how he uses it to affect even us today. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus, just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their garments on him. He sat on uh, the garments, and most of the crowd spread their garments in the road. Okay? Now, this is very important to understand. Why are they putting down this cushion for this colt? You know why they're doing it? It, this isn't just a, you know, a rug or, you know, red carpet or something like that. There was nothing prepared. This is all spontaneous. This is all something that the people wanted to do for Jesus. But why are they doing it? There, there's twofold. It's one thing. It, it's for Jesus. But the other thing, it's for the colt. You know why? Because the colt had never been ridden before. The, the colt had tender feet. The, the colt had, you know, these feet that hadn't been shod yet or didn't have, you know, hooves or in terms of the, the horseshoes, I guess you could say. It never worn horseshoes. And, and so the understanding here is they're laying down these uh, garments, their outer coats for this animal that's walking by. It's not only in respect to the one that's riding, but also to the very colt itself. But then they run out of clothes, and what do they do? It says they're in the rest of it, where we get what we call Palm Sunday actually coming from. They were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. All these palm branches that are put, and you, you know what happens with palm branches, right? You know, palm branches are these massive things that, you know, the, the garbage collectors don't want to collect because they're so fibrous, right? You know, it, it literally is a, a carpet uh, for the animal that's going by. Verse 9, and the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were saying, and we sing this tonight. I love the way that, you know, uh, the, all, the, all these, you know, songs that we sing, the praises that we give, and they're tied to the scriptures. Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. The, the, the privilege of all these people that are praising 
the name of Jesus Christ. By the way, this also had to take place too. Because what would happen at the beginning of the Passover week was that a family would choose a lamb and they would have to observe that lamb. And the same thing with Jesus Christ. He's being observed. He's being seen. He's being seen as walking or riding down this path as the people are laying down their garments and then these palm branches. They're, they're seeing their king coming forth, lowly riding on the fowl of a donkey. Had to be fulfilled all the way back 500 years before. Shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. By, by the way, these same people, within just five days, what are they going to be shouting? Crucify him. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his reign will be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. There's these interchanging words here. And, and again, you know, just like the previous section where we see all these Philistine cities and then we see Tyre and Sidon, Sometimes it's hard for us to kind of picture where they're at, you know. It's like the person that comes to Kern County or Bakersfield and they ask you, oh, where's Tatchaby? Where's, you know, Arvin? Where's, you know, Kern City or some other place, you know. And you know where they are because you live here, right? It's the same thing, right? They, they live there. They know these places. They understand what it means to refer to Ephraim. They, they understand what it means to refer to Judah. They understand these places. You see, ever since King Solomon died, there's been a divided nation. There was only 60 years where the nation of Israel was united under a monarch. Okay? During the time of David, 20 years, and during the time of Solomon for 40 years. The, the, all 12 tribes were united under one king. And then when King Solomon dies, there's a split that happens. The, the, there's the northern kingdom of Israel, capital Samaria, and then there's the southern kingdom, Judah, which is the capital of Jerusalem, which is normally one that we know about, right? And now, as Zechariah is approaching the section where all these tribes are going to now be united again under a king. And who's that king? It's the Messiah who's going to integrate, bring together all 12 tribes again. Ephraim was the biggest of the northern tribes. In fact, every single one of the kings in the north came from Ephraim. And then the other name that we're going to see here is the name Joseph. In fact, just keep reading. We'll, we'll see this in just a little bit here. Verse 11, as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, O prisoners who have the hope. This very day I'm declaring that I will return double to you. For I will bend Judah as my bow, and I will fill the bow with Ephraim, and I will rouse up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and I will make you like a mighty man's sword. What's going to happen to all the tribes now? They're going to be united under one king. 
They're going to fight together rather than against each other. And in fact, that's what happened a lot of the times when they were separated, there would be civil war, you know, where, where, you know, people in the North would fight against people in the South. By the way, you know, what does it say here? And, and we're going to see this when we get to the, between the, the Testaments, when we get between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it uses this word, uh, Greece here. And, and I, you know, I, I, I love Vasilios. He's Greek, you know, so he, he understands this, this a lot better than, than I do. But, but the understanding here, when, when the nation of Judah is going against those that have come against them, First the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, and then the, the Persians, and the 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 um you know the all, all these other nations, and then after the Persians, it's going to be the Greeks that that are going to come against the nation of Israel. God's going to unite them against their what enemies. Verse fourteen. Then Yahweh will appear over them; his arrow will go forth like lightning, and Lord Yahweh will blow the trumpet; he will go. Uh, in the storm winds of the south, Yahweh of hosts will defend them, and they will consume and trample on the stones of a sling, and they will drink and roar as with wine, and they will be filled like a sacrificial bull, drenched like the corners of the altar. I don't know if you've ever seen an altar before. Normally, we call this an altar. You can come up and you can pray, you know, those kind of things. We, we, we call the, you know, th this area when we have the communion area, it, it's the altar, right? Sometimes if you were maybe in a more formal church, you would have this thing that, you know, was in front of the pulpit called the altar, right? It, the altar in uh, Jewish understanding, in Jewish thinking, was a, you know, a square. It was a, 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 uh, a, um, a place where they would come and they would bring the offerings or the sacrifices. But, but on the Jewish altar, there was actually these horns that came out from the corners of the altar. The, the horns that were used to hold the animal that was being sacrificed. And what would drip on those horns? Blood. The, the, as it says here, this sacrificial bull that is being drenched over the horns of the altar, where, where literally it's being drenched in blood, the altar itself. And Yahweh, their God, will save them in their day. What does it take to save somebody? What does it take? A sacrifice, exactly. And, and for us, we understand that, you know, the cross itself, what did Jesus do on the cross for us? How did he save us? By dying for us, by, by sacrificing himself for us. As the flock of his people, for they are as the stones of a crown sparkling in his land. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? It says it right there. Why did he do it? For us for his people, so that we could sparkle in the crown of God. Isn't that amazing? Just absolutely beautiful. Normally, it's the other way around, though, by, by the way. You understand that, right? Normally, what does a shepherd do? Well, why does he raise sheep? Not, it's not just for the wool, okay? What, well, why does he raise sheep? Yeah, the, the sheep are raised for a purpose, right? You know, yes, they, they, they give milk. Yes, they give, you know, wool. But, 
they're they're made and raised to die, right? They're they're made and raised for their meat, right? In in God's economy and God's kingdom, it's the opposite. Who's dying? The shepherd's dying for the sheep. Wow. In in fact, look at what it says there. The shepherd died for the sheep, verse 17, the last verse of uh, chapter 11, uh, 9 there, for what goodness and what beauty will be theirs. Why does he do it? For your beauty, for your salvation, so that you can experience salvation. And grain will make the choice men flourish in new wine. The virgins, by the way, all these other things, these are the added things to the sacrifice. Not only would they bring an animal, but they would bring grain and they would bring the new wine or, or the, uh, the, the libations, if you will. They would bring those and they would be put in to uh, the sacrifice as well. Chapter 10, verse 1, ask rain from Yahweh at the time of the late rain. Yahweh, who makes the storm clouds and he will break, give them showers of rain, the plant in the field to each man, for the teraphim speaks wickedness, and the diviners behold false visions and speak worthless dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people journey like sheep. They are afflicted because there is no what? Shepherd. Now, now the comparison is you have, a, you have a good shepherd, but you've left that shepherd. You've gone on to false shepherds or, or hired shepherds. You've gone on to people that don't care for the sheep. Instead of feeding the sheep, they're, they're fleecing the sheep. They're taking advantage of the sheep. In fact, it, it does this comparison when, when, when Yahweh is in charge, he brings the rain at the perfect time. But then when they go to these teraphim or these these household idols, these little things that they would have in their house. And of course, they'd, they'd go to the, the temple on, you know, Saturday. They would go to the temple on the Sabbath, but then what would they do the rest of the week? They, they would, you know, talk to these little household idols. They, they would, you know, literally worship these household idols. They, they depended upon what was inanimate. They, they were dependent upon something that was worthless, as it says here in verse 2. You know, and we, we, we think about them. I, I used to live in Nepal, actually, and, and uh, this was uh, before 2000. And, and everywhere you go in Nepal, there's these little idols everywhere. I mean, you know, in the, in, in the streets, in the bridges, in the houses, everywhere. And I remember talking to someone that was there, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, what do you, what do you think of America? What do you what do you think of the the United States? And, and and they said their their country is full of idols because what they see in America is the things that we also have in our houses, which can be what idols too. Yeah, we just put them over our you know mantles. You know, same thing. It's exactly the same thing. Just people have different types of idols depending upon how sophisticated or technological you are, right? Rather than carving it by hand, we buy it from the store, right? Exactly the same thing. But we also can do, uh, put things before the Lord. Verse three, my anger burns against the shepherd 
And I will visit punishment upon the male goat. For Yahweh of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his splendid horse in battle. What has happened to the sheep? Because of these false shepherds, these, these people that don't have any concern for the people, for the sheep, as the comparison is here, these shepherds, they were the religious leaders of the Israelites. These were, these were the priests. These were the ones that should be caring for the flock. They, they were supposed to care for the sheep. And instead, what are they doing? They're ignoring the needs, right, of the sheep. But then there's this other uh, also similar phrase here, and I will visit punishment upon the male goats. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever... You know, see, and we, we have sheep, if you go on sometimes in Tehachapi or, or along Highway 5, you'll see the sheep, you know, kind of on the, the side of the road. People can hire them to eat all the, the, the grass that grows, you know, or they just, uh, they put them out there. But there's always someone watching them, right? And they put up these temporary uh, barriers, right? And it's very simple. I mean, it's just a stick with some string, but it keeps the sheep in a certain area, right? You know, they, they do that on, on purpose. But, but how they lead the sheep from one area to another, it's never, you know, in terms of, of pushing them or making them go. It's always leading them. And today we, they use dogs, right, you know, or, or some sort of, a, you know, um, a, a device. But, but in those days, they used to use a goat. And, and you may have heard of this before. It's called a Judas goat. You see, a goat would be used to lead the sheep from one area to another. And they trusted that goat so much because they knew that the goat would lead them to the next area that had good, you know, uh, uh, grass, good uh, water to drink from, right? But then what would happen at the end of their life? What would that goat do? It would lead them to the slaughter, right? It would lead them to the place where they were going to uh, die. This is exactly the comparison to the political leaders. Because what are the political leaders doing? And, and by the way, this refers perfectly to what Jesus says, that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Why? Because these are the ones that have betrayed the sheep. These were the ones that had, they, they had lived among the sheep, but they had betrayed them. Same thing here, verse 4. From them will come the cornerstone, from them the tent peg, from them the bow of battle, from them every good taskmaster, all of them together, and they will be as mighty men treading down the enemy in the mire of the streets in battle, and they will battle for Yahweh will be with them, with the riders on horses will be put to shame, and I will make the house of Judah, what? Mighty. Though those once trampled down sheep will become an army for God. And how is he going to lead them? No longer on the colt of a donkey, by the way. How is he going to lead them? As a warrior. One coming on a horse. It's interesting how it says there in verse 6, he's going to make the house of Judah mighty, and I will save the house of Joseph. You know there's 12 tribes, right? 
You know, there's 12 tribes, right? You know, you have the tribe of Judah. Uh, you have the tribe of Reuben. You have the tribe of Simeon. You have the tribe of Levi. You'll never see a tribe of Joseph. Even though he was the most popular of the sons, even though he was the favorite of the sons. Do you know why there's no tribe of Joseph? You'll never see, it, at least in the Old Testament, there, there's one reference in the book of, of Revelation. But, but in the Old Testament, you'll never see the tribe of Joseph. You'll never see it listed as a tribe. Why? Because he got two. Because his son became tribe. Ephraim and Manasseh. They became the tribe. So Joseph actually had, you know, the majority actually had two tribes, two sons named for him. They were adopted by his dad, Jacob, to be tribes or to be inherited by him as, as his son. Now, this is amazing because when you look at this, now you see this understanding, not only Judah, which was the kingly tribe, but now Joseph is being recognized because his son, Ephraim, the majority in the north, you know, the one from whom all the kings in the north came from, he turned back. And who is God going to redeem? Sons of Joseph. He's going to redeem the north. He's going to redeem the ten tribes in the north, and he's going to bring them together as a one under his authority. Just absolutely amazing. And I will cause them to return because I have had compassion on them and they will be as though I had not rejected them. Wow. Don't you love that? There, there's no stigma in the eyes of God. There's no shame in the eyes of God. God doesn't see your past. What does he see? Your future, right? Isn't that amazing? People look at our, our past, right, all the time, right? Excuse me. I, I have the privilege of getting to know you before you were sinners. I, I, ha I have the privilege of getting to know you after you're saved, right? But, but what happens to the people that knew you before you were saved? Do, is there, you know, um, that, you know, that prejudice, if you will? Are they really converted? Are they really changed, you know? Where you meet someone after you're saved, they see how you are now, right? And then you're basically a clean slate. It's the same thing in the eyes of God. Does God see you as already clean? As already perfect in him? And there's that signature, that, that effort that he says, for I am Yahweh their God and I will answer them. Who's the one that signs the contract? Who's the one that signs the deal? It's God himself, right? His very name, his very signature. And Ephraim will be like a mighty man in their heart, will be glad as if from wine. Indeed, their children will see it and be glad. Their heart will rejoice in who? Can any of you guys whistle? I, I can't whistle, you know. It's very difficult for me to whistle, but do you know that God whistles? I, I can't imagine that. I'm, I mean, I would love to hear the whistle of God, right? That, in fact, this is the only time in the whole Bible that we see God whistling. What, what does it say there? Uh, I will whistle for them to gather them together. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? The, the whistle of God. 
You know, it's like, you know, what, what's that old show where the, it starts off whistling. I forget the Andy Griffith show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that guy was an amazing whistler, right? You know, uh, God's whistle is even better, right? To, to, to gather his people for I have redeemed them and they will be as numerous as they were before we talked about this when we were in the book of Haggai, when the people of Israel came out of the book of Exodus or when they came out of Egypt, they were in the millions. When they came out of Babylon some a thousand years uh, later, they come out in the thousands. They've been reduced truly to a remnant. But what is the promise of God? What is the promise of God? They're going to, again, become numerous. But not only uh, just a numerous, but they're going to be in the nations as well. They're, they're going to be sowed among the nations. Look at what it says there in the very next uh, phrase. And I will sow them among the peoples, and they will remember me in far countries, and they with their children will live and turn back. Despite the fact that God is going to sow them in the nations, will they want the peace for Jerusalem or will they want to go back to Jerusalem? Yeah. In fact, you see it all the time today, right? Jewish people that, that love their homeland, that whether they, they support or whether they send money back or whether they, they go back and they visit their homeland, the nation of Israel. Look at the nations that they're going to come from. Verse 10, then I will cause them to return from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no room can be found for them. How many people will come back? By the way, this isn't going to be fulfilled until the millennial kingdom. Uh, we, we, we saw this when we were in the book of Ezekiel. The nation of Israel has never had their full territory completely. Even, even all the way back in the book of Joshua, even during the time of David and King Solomon, they never completely inhabited the entire boundary of their land. And, and today they don't as well. But, but during the millennial kingdom, they will. And people will come from literally all over the world. They will come, they will inhabit the full land of Israel, verse 11 and they will pass through the sea of distress, and he will strike the waves in the sea so that all the depths of the Nile will dry up, and the pride of Assyria will be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt will depart, and I will make them mighty in Yahweh. And that's key, by the way. That, that's so key, because it's only in their God that they are mighty. Because every time they've left God, what has happened to them? They fall. Same thing, same thing with us, by the way, right? We're, we're, we're mighty in God only. We're, when I'm in God, I have power. When, I, when I'm uh, abiding in Christ, I, I have truth and power and joy and love. And what happens when I, you know, walk away? It's not God that walked away from us. It's me that walks away, right? We, 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 whether it's sin or whether it's the things that we choose uh, to do. And this is so important. And in his name, they will what? Walk. H how do you walk with someone? 
you have to have the same direction. Otherwise, it's just passing, right? Right? Otherwise, it's just a millisecond, right? Otherwise, it's just, you know, just going in the opposite direction or going in different directions, right? You, you can't walk with someone unless you're going to the same place, right? And it's the same thing with God, right? It, it's when I rebel, when I, when I change my direction uh, that I'm separated from God. That's why the word repent is so important, right? What does repent mean? To turn and go back, right? To, to go back to the same place where I left the Lord. Chapter 11, we're just going to read the first uh, uh, three verses here, or maybe the first six verses, we'll see. Uh, I, I love this section, by the way, and I'm, I'm so glad that we, get to, that we get to end with this section here. It says, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that a fire may consume your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen because the mighty trees have been destroyed. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the impenetrable fortress has come down. There is a sound of the shepherd's wail, for their might is destroyed. There is a sound of a young lion's roar, for the pride of the Jordan is destroyed. Do you, do you know what the, the, you know, the, the Lebanon region was known for? They're cedars. In fact, all of King Solomon's, you know, he, he would hire the, the, the tradesmen and the, the carpenters in Lebanon to not only harvest the trees and bring them into Israel or into Jerusalem for his, you know, houses, for the temple of God, uh, for, for all the projects in terms of the walls and the buttresses and all the things that were going into the defenses of the nation of, of Israel during the time of King Solomon. But now if you go to Lebanon, there's no more trees. There's no more cedar trees. Uh, a fulfillment, by the way, of this, okay? Have you ever smelled a cedar tree before? You, maybe your grandma used to have one of these. They're, they're called cedar chests, right? What, what, are, what are cedar chests used for? What, what are, why do they smell good? What's, what's the purpose? It keeps away the moths, right? It keeps away the insects. You know, they're, they're a, insect, a naturally insect-resistant wood, right? Uh, insects don't like to chew on it, so it protects your, you know, clothes. You know, you can ask your grandma about it or, you know, maybe your parents or something like that, you know. It's one of those things that is naturally done. But what happens now to the cedars in Lebanon? Completely destroyed. Verse 4, thus says Yahweh, my God, shepherd the flock doomed to slaughter. And this is so important when we end tonight. Because what does God want for his church? What does God want for his people? Who is the good shepherd? Jesus. And what does he do? He lays down his life for the flock. Coming back to where we just said, that flock that was doomed to slaughter, what is the shepherd going to do? Save it. He saves you from doom. Look at what it says. Those who buy them slaughter them and are not held guilty. And each of those who sell them says, Blessed be Yahweh, indeed I have become rich. What have they done to the flock? They profited off of it. They profited off the people. It, it, it's that, you know, and, 
you know, I, I, I hate the, you know, point fingers, but it's the person that, you know, has the, this huge church and he profits off the people. He profits off the tithes of the, the sacrifices of the people, right? But rather than, you know, giving to the people. It's the church that's starving to death. Verse 6, for I will no longer spare the inhabitants of the land, declares Yahweh, for behold, I will cause the man to fall each into the another's hand and in the hand of his king, and they will crush the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. Is there high consequences for being a leader in the family of God? Because what's going to happen to the shepherds? They're going to be judged. They're going to be judged by God because they have not taken care of the flock. They have not cared for the flock of God. By, by the way, in this section, we, we see that it's Zechariah. In fact, in the very next section, I, I just for homework this coming week, you're going to see this word I over and over again, okay, in this chapter 11, okay? And the reason why is because now Zechariah, he's going to accept the responsibility of being a shepherd for the flock. Because what has happened is, you know, they've, they've come back and, and, you know, people have come in, you know, that have, you know, taken advantage of the people of Israel. They've taken advantage of the flock, not necessarily from Israel. These are people that, you know, uh, had already inhabited the land or people that were in other nations that had infiltrated the flock. And now Zechariah is going to come in. He says, I'm going to take responsibility for the people of God. I'm going to take responsibility for them. And so as you read through the rest of chapter 11, and, and there's only three more chapters after this, it's, it's not a lot left, but the understanding is every single one of these references is Zechariah taking responsibility for his position as a prophet of God, wanting to feed, wanting to care for, wanting to nourish the flock of God, rather than fleece the flock of God. And, and I'm, I'm grateful that we go to a church where our pastors want us to grow. They want us to, to grow in the word of God. They want us to be fed on the word of God. And so if you don't, I mean, I, I know schedules and all those kind of things, whether it's on Sundays or, or Monday nights or Wednesday nights or Friday nights or throughout the week, you know, just the, those opportunities that we have to be able to come, you know, led by various people in the church. You don't have to listen to the same person over and over again. You can come and, and listen to different people. It's, a, it's truly a, a privilege that we have a, in this uh, uh, church. And so, Father, tonight as we, we leave, Lord, I thank you so much for these, my friends and my family that are gathered here tonight. And, Lord, we truly are blessed. We, we Many times uh, um, don't acknowledge your blessings or many times we're not grateful for your blessings, Lord. Rather than, you know, being grateful, many times we criticize. And Lord, please forgive us when we do. Lord, I ask that you would help us as we approach this section, as we, we maybe uh, go our, our separate ways and we, 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 you know, share this with another person or, or, or tell another person or, or maybe, uh, you know, someone that we know in our own household and we share what we learned tonight, Lord, help us to be able to have that same enthusiasm that Zechariah had, that, that desire for the people of God. I, I want to be around 
uh, God's people. I don't want them to be doomed. I want them to grow. I, I don't want them to be, you know, slaughtered. I, wa I want them to thrive. And so, Lord, we thank you for the example of a good shepherd in you. We, we thank you for the good shepherd that is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who laid down his life for the sheep. And so, Lord, we ask the same, that we would deny ourselves, that we would take up our cross daily, and we would, too, have that same desire to share your love to those around us, where, where it's not a, dependent upon our, our nationality or our, our language or, or our skin color or anything like that. It, it's all dependent upon who do I believe in. And that we would be glad to share it with those around us, Lord. And I thank you so much for these that are examples, not only uh, to me, but examples to other people, Lord. That are examples in this community that, that are, have so many different ministries in their work, in their families, in their own spheres of influence, Lord. I ask that you bless them in those things, that they would see that they too can be, be ministers to those around them, Lord. That rather than taking advantage of people, we would want to benefit those around us, Lord, just as you've done for us. And so, Lord, I ask you bless these, my friends and my family. Use us for your glory this week. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.